Welcome aboard HMS Classical Music Pod. Sam and I are deep below the sea at a location we cannot disclose for national, nay, international security reasons. Our next transmission is an interview with singer Nikki Spence. Sam, what do people need to know about Nikki Spence before we dive into your conversation? Well, he's an operatic tenor and one of Britain's busiest singers, always popping up in concerts and in recordings and opera stages. Born in Dumfries, he got into singing in his teens through Scottish Youth Theatre and National Youth Music Theatre before heading off to Guildhall in London as their youngest singer aged only 17. Mm, There's a brilliant front page from that moment in the Dumfries and Galloway Gazette with an article celebrating the young and very ginger Nicky. Next to it is an unrelated headline saying, Cash Carrots. (laughs) It takes quite a trained eye to realise they're not about the same thing. Nowadays, he's recording and performing with all the big beasts out there, Opera de Paris, Covent Garden, and the Metropolitan Opera New York. He has a particular affinity for Janacek, a composer we love on this pod. Yes, do check out our analysis of his Sinfonietta, if you like the sound of that. There's a link in the description for those interested. Nicky is singing a lot of the most vocally chunky repertoire out there these days, Wagner and Strauss. And if you haven't seen him live, it's well worth the trip. He really is one of the most vivacious singers out there really fun on stage and it's probably what's got him on the telly a little bit so listen out for us chatting about that we also covered singers having to act and the hot potato of who can play whom on stage the challenges of juggling so many different productions in one year and we end up by playing a game called spence or non-spence excellent pun-based games should always be included after a bit of scheduling and rescheduling around Nikki's very complicated rehearsal and performance diary, we managed to get a chat in whilst Nikki was ducking and diving between rehearsals. He was sat in a cafe, supping on a San Pellegrino, and I was on the other end of a Zoom link for the first time in a little while. Up Periscope! I spy land! Personal chat. Personal chat. Drop it, it isn't worth it, and actually, you're not very good at it. Anyway, thank you so much for squeezing us in, because you're you're about the busiest man in Britain at the moment, aren't you? I'm sure there are far more important (laughs) busy people than me, but yes, rather up against it. Mm, So we're chatting on Thursday, 
Tuesday night, about 36 hours ago, you were finishing Yennefer at Royal Opera House. And then it's... Uh, I mean, is there any break before you carry on for Valkyrie? Or is it... Am I the break? Is this the, the moment off? You are the break. You are my pastime. You are my hobby. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, what a privilege. What an honour. An elevated position I'm going to be in. Just before Yennefer, you were, you were still vaccinating people, right? So, I mean, it's been a bit of a, a whirlwind summer, autumn... Definitely, it's been a sandwich of all kinds of activities, glorious, medical, singing, everything, a little bit for everybody. Do you, do you manage to have a little rest beforehand, knowing that this is going to be a bit of a blitz, or do you sort of just knuckle down and enjoy the work? Sort of. My partner and I, we had like a blowout, because most <laughs> singers especially, we have to be so bloody boring, no smoking, no drinking, anything. But we mm. press the button in a big, big way, about two months ago just like over a weekend and then it's been very boring basically wearing a wimple for the oh. rest of the year the um the idea of you in a wimple is another wonderful mental image to include in the litany so far it's tantalizing <laughs> isn't it <laughs> and this this combo that you're doing this mega sandwich i mean in fact the whole year looking at it was a bit palm sweat for me i thought wow that's that's a lot to get in do you have to manage the sort of vocal and emotional input output of how much you're able to you keep giving out in these uh, massive productions? Certainly, and I'm learning so much about myself as I go. I've always been pretty busy, blessedly, with mm. sandwiching things up, but I've never quite been as... I suppose everything's quite high profile and it's all quite different music. So in mm. any other year I wouldn't have juxtaposed say Janacek and Wagner because they're not the best of bedfellows which I kind of learned to my detriment in a way <laughs> so that was slightly annoying I kind of lost my voice because we were rehearsing in masks at Covent Garden and wow. one thing or another just not fun and so the performances I absolutely adore the opera but it didn't feel like the most enjoyable experience because I felt I wasn't on my my best and I was rehearsing Wagner the whole bloody time as well so I just felt like I was a bit torn everywhere and I wasn't quite doing what I wanted anywhere really so I, ha I had to kind of put like a bit of a flare up into the sky and say guys I need a day off and everybody was very lovely and gave me a day off so that was nice and then I was able to feel a bit more myself. That self-knowledge is a really wonderful thing isn't it if you know, I think a couple of years ago I wouldn't have had well, I don't know about you, the sort of gumption to be like, actually, you know what, I I need to book that day off as a day where I rest and recover. If I'm going to be my full self, then it needs to have a little bit of a gap before coming back. And is that something you've you've grown into, do you think? Definitely. Knowing what it is that you are able to do and having the courage, especially for your mental health, just to say, I'm not coping. Mm. Because everything's fine on paper. We can schedule everything and your iCal can be throbbing with delight but when you get to it and you're whizzing in cabs from hither to thither running about on the floor then you know finding a dead baby under the ice not in real life in the opera <laughs> and it's all quite harrowing and you just need to make sure that you're keeping a good check on yourself because otherwise you'll be no good to anybody yeah and I, I mean I was thinking about this just preparing for this interview uh, I saw you a couple of years ago in a Bernstein concert at Barbican and the feeling in the audience was you were giving out so much. You know, it was a real radiant kind of experience and that's obviously wonderful for me but 
for you, the person who has to radiate, what do you put in? What's the fuel for your radiation? <laughs> well, chocolate and alcohol <laughs> and drugs, probably. No, not at all. Um, it doesn't cost me much just to kind of be myself. And I'm quite a radiatory person. Mm. And I don't mean that I'm just hot. But, you know, shame this isn't a visual thing. Yeah, that too. Thank you. Right answer. Checks in the post. No, but it doesn't cost me much to kind of, you know, be myself. And, you know, in concert, I try to just be who I am. But sometimes if you're having to get in a different gear or if you're having a particularly hard day and you have to use technique, then mm. it's slightly more exhausting. Could you break that down for us a little bit more about the sort of what the gear changes that you're going through between Janacek and Wagner? What are the different stresses and strains that that puts on you? Aside from dead babies under the ice, you know. Well, of course, yes, which is, you know, ruins any wedding day. <laughs> I, for Janacek, Janacek is absolutely in my canon. I've done lots mm. of it and I really adore it. It's kind of my favourite kind of music. But it's quite challenging it's like a play set to music really so you can't drift along you have to be fully viscerally engaged with it physically mm. and it's very high as well in terms of tessitura so that's great and really enjoyable but the wagner is beautiful music and wonderful but is pretty much a baritone role yeah so it's kind of set about three or four tones lower so if you're putting yourself going between both of those repertories it's um you know you just have to, i just have to keep on remembering this is going to feel different this is different that's fine mm. so and, and learn when to sing and when not to sing and don't try to impress anybody really and just do your thing yeah and sort of navigate a path through an opera like that i suppose and sort of find your what's your route going to be where are the big moments going to going to land mm. and that's why i love rehearsing and especially rehearsing with somebody that knows what he's doing, like Richard Jones, that you can really plot your path. And it's very detailed and every minutia is discussed and worked out. And I adore that. You feel mm. like you're really getting stuck in. Great. Uh, just hanging in with Janacek for a little bit. He's played a, a big role in your career so far. Is there something that you're able to put your finger on and say, this is this is why this music and I connect, or is it a bit more mellifluous than that? No, not mellifluous. I mean, lots of his music is gorgeous and mellifluous, but he's such an honest composer. Yeah. And there's an immediacy. There's not much fat to the meat. You really mm. get this beautiful, imperfect perfection with his music. It's exploring the grey areas of the human condition, which I find so fascinating. It's not lovey-dovey, it's very real. And mm. I think that's what makes it alarming when you go to an opera, because you see yourself being reflected in his music. And it's about human beings, essentially. And I think that's what, that's why it's such a great, say, first composer for somebody to listen to because it really is such a great, for a, a first-time buyer, it's the perfect yeah. advert for drama. 
that's great actually because I mean so often people would sort of oh take you along to something nice and tuneful mm. but actually take you along to something dramatic something that's really going to grab you and pull you into the the drama of what's going on maybe everyone should start with Janacek maybe that's the new prescription yes endorse that prescription doctor <laughs> If you've, uh, if someone says just been to their first opera and seen you in in Yennefer and, and loved it, what could they expect if they follow you to Germany for the Macropolis case? Because that's a little bit less well known, isn't it? Yes, it's much chattier. The conversational nature of it can be a bit confusing, and they do a lot of talking about a lot of different things. Mm. And it's a wonderful, fantastical story. And I think that. Janacek was quite interested in, about lives and about what people did with their lives. And he had this kind of Indian summer of composition where he really came into his own in his latter life. And yeah. the main role in the Macropolis case is like a 337-year-old woman. So maybe there was some kind of resonance there with that. But people should just come to Berlin because, you know, it's with Simon Rattle, he's got fabulous hair. And it's, 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 a wonderful, it's a wonderful piece. And again, there's a kind of misfit love interest. My character, the main tenor, falls in love with Amelia Marty, who's had all of these other different personas over the years. But it turns out that she's actually his great, 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 great grandmother. So it's all a bit incestuous, which also links back to, you know, Wagner, Siegmund, Sieglinde. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you're spending your whole year in thorny situations aren't you domestic uh, what's the opposite of domestic bliss whatever it is i think that's you yes uh, domestic <laughs> hatred it's um yes incest the game the whole family can play Has all this singing Janacek given you a little bit of workable Czech language? If you're in Prague, are you able to order a beer or are you just able to talk about thorny legal matters? Ano, prosim. That's a bit of Czech there for you. And um, yes, you. not great with ordering beers and things, but I can tell somebody that fate has brought us together and we should probably fall in love and die in each other's arms. But not that useless in a department store. No, well, who knows what kind of department store it might turn out to be. One little thing I was thinking about, Yennefer, as well with this was, am I right in thinking you've played Starva before? Yes, yeah, the other brother. I've played him four or five times, yeah. Yeah, so did you manage to resist the urge on giving out tips? Does it also mean that you've heard four or five lacquers? So you've kind of... Is the preparation process significantly different with that in your ears already? Well, the music, I guess, was in my bones, which was helpful. But certainly I kind of felt a feeling in my between me down there's whenever Steva was about to sing and I had to resist singing myself. I kind of like there was this moment of readiment, which yeah. I had to deny myself. <laughs> but no, I, I, I find that in uh, professional music making, giving any kind of tips should be frowned upon. Don't give tips. There, there's a good one. It must be such an interesting experience to sort of move around and quite a nice thing to do as a singer to have played the different parts within a production throughout your career. Mm. And actually Latza is 
an upgrade in terms of like an emotional arc, for sure, because Steva right. is immature and just shagging everybody. Right. Which is very fun, but slightly exhausting. So I did enjoy the fact that I didn't have to run about and shag people for change. Excellent. And you've totally shown up my pronunciation. How should I be saying these two names? Oh, I didn't want to say No, anything. no, but as it, like, I, I don't have Czech like you do. How, how should we be saying them to say it in an authentic way? So we've got, we've got Latsa, we've got Latsa and Steva. Steva. Awesome. Oh, well, I'll pocket that and I'll sound much more authoritative next time. So, Go for it, yes. <laughs> every day's a school day. You're back to, you're back to Janacek by February, but it's Valkyrie on the 19th. What's the sort of lead time on each of these roles? Because it feels like they're coming thick and fast to me as an audience member. So presumably you, ha- you don't just crack the spine on it a couple of weeks beforehand. This is a, a bit of a longer process. Absolutely. And well, weirdly, with these operas, some of them were meant to have happened during COVID. So they've been moved. This Valkyrie has been moved about three times. Um. And ideally, I would have had it in a zone where I was singing lots of similar things so the fact that they're all juxtaposed and dovetailing that was all by happenstance so i already had learned the valkyrie but then had learned it um years ago and then entirely forgotten it which is one of my favorite tricks mm. i get all the music that i ever sing and then i come back to it it's like i've never seen it before in my life <laughs> and we uh but the funny thing about czech is that you can't put it in the microwave it's not like german or french where mm. you can kind of learn it pretty quickly it's just bloody hard it's like (laughs) japanese and if you don't get that first syllable right you're screwed so it takes a while so you have to load that computer up but um generally with singing and learning repertoire i think of it like a hob like a kitchen hob like a range so i'll have you know Mm. something which is in like a year's time that'll be in the slow cook section and then a couple of things on the front hobs bubbling away yeah so just check in on this every now and again because that's going to need to be ready in a few months and then actually this is this is right at the moment so give it some attention. Yes. Once you're done with Janacek for a little bit you're back in London for Samson and Delilah. Samson, famously strong lad. Is the preparation including gym? Are you hitting, you know, hitting the gym, picking up some tin? What's the what's Ooh. the preparation like for that? Is there an expectation of that? sexy individuals i've never heard hitting the tin before that's fun i do hit lots of tins but they tend to be from MS. yes yeah yeah little, little multi-packs yes joyful i guess there is always a pressure not to be kind of large arse but um it's not something i've worried about for quite a few years i mean i am a bigger person anyway so even when i've, I've lost loads of weight for roles before I remember playing a 16-year-old and literally just kind of not eating for ages and looking very small. And then I could still sing. But I reckon now if I lost loads of weight too quickly, then I probably would lose my voice as well. I have kind of dabbled with it. I'm getting married in January. Congratulations. Which is ever so exciting. So I tried to lose a bit of weight for that. And then actually I found that my singing was kind of different Mm. And I didn't have enough time to kind of like recalibrate it. So I thought, okay, let's slightly abandon that mission. But um, yes, I think I am expected to be sort of semi-clad for this Samson. So, you know, let's get the tits ready. <laughs> Fantastic. That's what I'm saying. I just, I think there's such a, it's a different expectation from anybody else, isn't it? I mean, I know that whatever, some soloists feel like they've got to be, you know, photogenic or whatever, but it's a, on stage acting 
is such a different role from like being a fantastic concert pianist. Um, mm. But I suppose you use other skills to embody all those elements of it, whether that's age or, um, you know, acting, I suppose, isn't it? You've got to act a bit. That's it, acting, definitely. Well, it's the big subject at the moment is mm. inclusivity and diversity and should straight people be playing gay people, should gay people be straight people and black people and all the rest of it. You know, and it's like we're actors. That's what we do. We're not ever usually playing ourselves. Yeah. So the thought that somebody can't play somebody because they're nothing like them is is kind of hilarious. But yes, I think there is uh, expectation to be a certain way. But I always stick to my guns in terms of, you know, if you need me to jump about and be sexy, then I can do that as much yeah. as the skinniest person alive. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Across this sort of mega year, you're going to be working with a whole host of wonderful conductors, including over summer, you were with Ben Glassberg, who used to sit behind me in Youth Orchestra. So shout out to Ben, who is taking the world by storm. Yeah, um, we love Ben. He's just, he's a mega talented yes. guy. And you were so sat wonderful. behind him, the best view. <laughs> um, what is it for you that indicates, oh, this conductor is going to get me. They're, a, they're an opera conductor. It sounds pretty base, but I think just being a lovely human being, for starters, mm -hmm. that underrated. is what... Absolutely underrated. That's what I really enjoy. There's so much fear in so many institutions. You know, hiring, firing, mm. am I going to be good enough, all this kind of thing. And if you can work with somebody who is human and who dares to smile and comes from a very, I suppose, what the music's trying to say emotionally yeah. and they want generally people want you to do your best job possible and the conductors who I've really enjoyed you know while there's always egos involved all over the place most artists are you know a vortex of need in the end of the day <laughs> so you know everyone's as scared as everybody else so somebody that sits down there and is like how are we going to work on this together and have the best possible experience so for these conductors you know knowing your music learning how singers breathe, knowing what our challenges are in terms of leaping around about tessiture, about how the voice actually works. You know, somebody like Ben is case in point. If I go on stage with him, I just feel as if I'm with a mate, you know, I'm with a friend, which is really lovely. And you feel like you're collaborating towards a, a similar goal. I only get terrified if I'm working with some awful kind of horrendous fascist, but that doesn't happen very often. I'm glad, glad to hear it. Yeah, I think that... Um what you're saying there about it's almost a confidence to be vulnerable isn't it to say that we're all doing this i'm not from mars with a super genius plan it's actually let's put it together here's my job here's your job uh, and that vulnerability is is wonderful but it's understandable why different people at different points in their career don't always feel it i suppose absolutely and it's scary to be emotionally naked and say i need help or i don't know how this works or let's work on it together. But what I love about opera that it is the most collaborative of all machines. And you take one person out and it's really suddenly a bit shit. So that's yeah. why everybody is imperative to the actual collaboration and to the end result, which I think is great. And there's not many other art forms like that. Yeah. Away from um, operatic things, in February 
there's a recording of Wenlock Edge on the horizon, and you and uh, all-star pianist Julius Drake are getting the band back together. What does he bring to the party? Always lovely. He always brings like a linen shirt, <laughs> which is lovely. Vital. Yes. And his wife always makes a lovely summer salad. So, I mean, that's two things for starters. Yeah. But um, musically, he's very kind of single-minded in terms of what he offers. Like, he always has a strong opinion. Mm. But he also is collaborative, you know, the collaborative pianist. So it's really fun to work with him. And he's a very masculine pianist, which sounds like an unusual word, but he's very strong. And he makes a good sound, which kind of comes from a very earthy place. You know, he's not (laughs) particularly... cerebral but he really feels the music which is lovely and that's I I work with all kinds of different pianists and whenever I work with Julius it feels very kind of real and that's why obviously Wenlock Edge is quite a pastoral piece and I thought oh should we do another recording there's so many recordings out there but then I thought actually that we can bring something slightly more dramatic something a bit more real to the piece Mm. so hopefully that's what we've done yeah get that rustic root back out no. The rustic root. The rustic root. Vortex of need and rustic of root. It's, I mean, yeah, there's, I'm going to be spoilt for choice for the little uh, cutout quotation on this this interview. Glorious. I think these are, I mean, they're probably nightclubs somewhere, the rustic root. <laughs> hey, you come back down to Salisbury with me, I'll show you the rustic root. be terrific. Oh, I'm sure you will show me your rustic root. <laughs> Watch out. In self-isolation, there's no conversation. My one consolation, model transportation. I have a thing where I make models of buses. Nikki, what's the, the difference for you in a recording situation as opposed to an onstage situation? Is the best version of yourself the same in both of those situations? Well, you have to give yourself a bit of a talking to, I think. As right. an opera singer, we're a bit like bagpipes. We're best heard at a distance. And then suddenly when you're singing in a recording studio, you've got a microphone kind of up every nostril and round the back end as well sometimes for a bit of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So you really have to suddenly zone in and it's very easy to try and go for perfection and lose your way entirely and think that you've never had a singing lesson in your life. I've done that so many times in front of the microphone and start doing really arty-farty, silly things, which I would never do on stage because yeah. I know that people need to hear me. So... It's an interesting gear change, but one that I really enjoy because you are extremely vulnerable. As long as you're aware of the terms and conditions that you know that this is a vignette in time, it was on that day, this is how you were feeling about the music, and then you kind of move on. I remember when I was signed to Decca, like in my 20s, when I was a baby, and I used to do recordings and I was, you know, singing the Titanic theme tune in Latin and all that shite. Mm-hmm. And they would, I would say, oh, I need to breathe there. It's like, oh, no, it's fine. We'll just kind of patch that together so it sounds like, you know, you can not breathe for 10 bars. And I thought, bloody hell, I'm not Celine Dion. Let's, you know, let's be honest. There's so many kind of like perfect recordings out there. I think it's nice to have a little Mm. bit of, like you say, vulnerability because otherwise we're we're not doing a good advert for up-and-coming singers as well. It's like, why can I never sing Nathan Troima without breathing? It's like everybody else breathes. They just bloody edit it now. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I recently got shown a little bit more how a classical music studio works. 
and the sort of compression and stuff that's going on, sort of bringing up people's low notes and managing to control the top notes. And it was eye-opening, and I felt totally liberated afterwards because I suddenly realised that was never real. And if you go to a live performance, you never hear it like you do on the record, and there's a reason. It's because it is actually being played with a bit. Um, and that, yeah, it's quite sort of freeing once you've seen behind the mirror, but if you never see behind it, then you can fall into that self-flagellation trap, I suppose. Exactly, mea culpa, mea culpa. Yes. And when you see the little Wizard of Oz behind the screen, I think you realise why some people are amazing at recording, so very good at mm. sounding a certain way and that responds well with a microphone. But there's some fantastic singers who I know don't enjoy recording and probably don't sound that great close up. And that's okay too, you know, there's um, horses for courses. Yeah. Can I just rewind you slightly back to that and all that shite moment when you're singing the Titanic soundtrack and stuff? Because I, just researching through this, found that a really interesting moment in your trajectory because it felt like a little a sort of foray down one path that doesn't necessarily lead to where you are now. And I just wonder, did you have to sort of reverse and about turn or did it steer around? Was it fun singing with Shirley Bassey and co.? It was, there were lots of fun things. Shirley Bassey, for starters, but it was very much kind of wide load reversing down a rocky path. Okay. I felt my sub-idate hurling towards me and thought, unless I can start presenting this morning, this isn't going to <laughs> work very well long term. So I was very aware that I had to get some more skills. And yeah. there's a lot of hot air in that business there's so much sensationalism and people in crocodile shoes telling your mum that you're going to be the next Shirley Temple and actually mm. it's not necessarily the case because they just kind of throw things at the wall to see what sticks and that's not what fine art is about that's what opera is you know you have to work really hard you can either do it or you can't and it's a much more worthwhile equation so I was very pleased that I scurried back but it took a long time to kind of convince people that I was serious well, yeah, I think that's uh, there's a sort of sunk cost fallacy, isn't there, of like, well, I've started, I'm a couple of years into this route, I suppose I better just keep on pushing through. I think it's quite a brave thing to be like, actually, you know what, I'm going to change direction and, and reverse it. Anyway, I'm really glad you did. Speaking of... Oh, uh, that's nice of you. <laughs> I, I uh, am too. Yeah, because, I mean, the breadth of the stuff you're doing now... And that includes actually a little bit of telly, not necessarily presenting uh, Good Morning Britain, but we're, we're on to um, Anyone Can Sing, right? And uh, like that, that breadth of stuff doesn't stretch quite as wide if you'd carried on that route, does it? You wouldn't necessarily be at Royal Opera House and on Anyone Can Sing. You might still be doing, doing a little bit of telly, but it's that breadth is, is an amazing thing. Can you tell us about Anyone Can Sing and what we can look forward to with it? Yes, it's a joyful project. It's such a heartwarming program because we are taking six members of the public and showing them into the dirty back room of opera and <laughs> what it takes to become an opera singer and it's such a unique set of skills that I think hardly anybody realizes what it takes to do this athleticism acting dancing movement knowing yourself emotionally your vulnerabilities opening your mouth being your own instrument there's so much to it and I think that it's going to be a great key to people to see what opera is. And it's, we're not expecting to find the next Maria Callas. I can tell you now we haven't, but we have found some really lovely people who thought that they couldn't do something mm. and their journey to be able to now sing, we hope, 
um, is really touching. What I liked about the, the sort of brief for the format, and I'm looking forward to seeing it, is that it's not sort of, oh, there might be a wonder talent out there in obscurity. It's that actually all of obscurity is fine. Like there's no one below a minimum threshold. Everyone is a six out of 10 if we just give them a bit of belief and a couple of, you know, helping hands. Absolutely. And it's as much about therapy as anything else. Mm. Did you dig through people's past and realise why people think that they can't do something? And that's kind of cathartic to go on that journey with somebody as well. You learn things about yourself. And I guess it's a bit like the sewing bee on BBC, which is like such a lovely programme. You know, you don't then want to go and buy these people's clothes, but you just love the fact that they've hoiled and toiled over a a sewing machine and managed to make a garment. Hey Sam, I've set up a coffee donation page for the podcast. What is a coffee donation page, Tim? It's like Patreon, in that it allows people to financially support creative projects they enjoy. If you'd like to buy us a tasty coffee, at least in the description, if you'd like to buy us a tasty coffee, at least in the description, if you'd like to buy us a coffee, if you'd like to buy us a tasty coffee, at least in the description. Can we just plug as well uh, Blackheath Hall's Community Opera, who've just been doing Venus and Adonis? And uh, my little interactions with them have always been awesome. I'm so impressed with the work they do. What's your connection to them? Oh, they are glorious, unabounded. I am their patron and have been for about five years now. Mm-hmm. And I just try and bring focus to what they do. And I'm there to advise and give love when needed and I think what we've really realized is that during COVID and lockdown that people have felt as if they've had a limb missing not being able to participate in community activity and that's not just about you know professionals being able to sing it's about the social lifeline which it obviously offered people and it's that idea of collaborative motion and Mm -hmm. in opera you can have that and it is that collaborative event and even for you know spirited amateurs it's so wonderful seeing them come together with professionals and an amateur semi-amateur orchestra and everybody's working towards the same goal and they just go for it health the leather with so much gusto and rose valentine who runs the whole affair there is so wonderful and we get these professionals in to work with the gang as i call them and they learn so much about it because we mm. do become these horrendous folk who sing and just think about themselves all the time. And then you go and do a project like this and you're like, ah, oh, yes, this is why I sing. This is why I do what I do. So it's it's really great for everybody. Come and see a show that Blackheath does. Yeah, seconded. Well recommended. Hey, I thought we could finish with a game. Oh, um, lordy. I mean, it's a absolutely wafer-thin premise. And it is that I will chuck out a word, a hobby, a noun, a place, something like that at you. And if you like or love it, can you reply, Spence? And if it's not your cup of tea, can you reply, non-Spence? Oh, lovely. For example, if I said Janacek, I'm guessing the answer is going to be 
Spent. Spent. Yes, and I think this is a, <coughs> having, sorry, I just sneezed. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I think it was actually allergic the to. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm just also really looking forward to you being in a cafe, saying your name over and over again. I think there's something fun about oh, that. God. Um, I'm going to be fulfilling the <laughs> idea that opera singers are self-obsessed. Let's go for it. Marmite. Spent. A day out at London Zoo. Spent. Carpeted bathrooms. No, it's non-spence. Nonsense, Spence. <laughs> Harry Potter. Spence. Cold water swimming. Spence. Pierce Brosnan's James Bond. Oh, non-spence. Dungarees. Spence. Houseplants. Spence. Baking one's own sourdough. Spence. Telling people you've baked your own sourdough. Non-spence. Hiking. Spence. Royal Family Memorial Crockery. Spence. Camouflage clothing. Spence. Wuthering Heights the novel. Spence. Wuthering Heights the song. Spence. Sir Tom Jones. Spence. Excellent. Congratulations. You are known. From those 15 things, we've actually worked out exactly who you are. I'm basically in ev- I'm into everything. I well, realize. that's what it turns out, yeah. Just like low threshold of entry. It's, it, yeah, so long as we're all having a good time, it sounds I'm like. Just, I'm just a whore. For all activities, apart from telling people about them. Yeah, it was in danger of turning into the generation game. I was keen to move on. A cuddly toy. A cuddly toy. It's been really nice to chat to you, man. Thanks so much for squeezing us into the the busy times and um, look forward to seeing you in the future. My pleasure. I will squeeze you in wherever you will come. Thank you for that, Sam. I thoroughly enjoyed that interview. I really am endeared to Nicky's personality. He's quite flirty, isn't he? Yeah, I, I wasn't that. really sure what my role as interviewer was when those double entendres were being thrown up. It's Do you to just lap watch it up. them go? No, you throw them right back at him. Okay, all right. Well, I'll know that for next time. <laughs> uh. Yeah, a couple of really interesting points that he made. Firstly, well, what piqued my interest, I think when he described Julius Drake as a masculine pianist, that raised an eyebrow because mm. I would associate that adjective with a pianist's description maybe 20, 30 years ago, but I feel like it has accumulated a bit of baggage since then. Yeah, and maybe it's just that Nicky doesn't... I mean, I wouldn't want to put words in his mouth, but... To me, his use of it sounded like he didn't have any baggage with it. Mm. You know, like it was uh, just the word that came to mind and therefore it came out of his mouth. Mm. And uh, maybe he would use exactly the same word of a pianist of a completely different gender or sexual identity. Yeah. Uh, it's just to do with the playing. Yeah. And wouldn't it be nice if we can one day all be free with our language like that because nobody feels oppressed by it? Oh my God, yeah, wouldn't it? Second thing that interested me was his uh, candidness in Mm. saying that we're all actors, you know, we're here to act, we should be able to act, Uh, which suggests to me that he falls on one side of an argument that is sort of central to uh, the classical music culture war at the moment, Mm. i.e. can we be casting uh, people of a certain ethnicity or socioeconomic background in roles that are very different to their own yeah 
I mean, Madam Butterfly is the Madam one. Butterfly right? being the main case. I don't know if anybody's read Neil Fisher's article in the Times on this ahead of the National Opera of Wales' production, which is actually going to be set in a dystopian future. Uh, that's the way cool. they've sort of got round the problem, as it were. But, yeah, there's plenty of opera houses in Italy and Russia that are still uh, getting Sopranos to apply, uh, I think it's called yellow face makeup, um, mm. and that's moved on a bit in this country. But, but yeah, it's, it's all tied into this conversation, and as I say, it felt like he was on the side of actors should act but i don't know what was your impression yeah i I agree with you and i i kind of wish that i had chased him a little bit on that because i think it's very hard to disagree with nikki you know we do want people to be able to play any role Mm. uh for me the caveat to that is that historically people haven't been able to play any role and the people who haven't been able to are the people being portrayed in madam butterfly or um black or brown actors have traditionally been told oh well we couldn't possibly have a black othello we couldn't reasonably mm. cast a whole bohem without plenty of uh, white faces in it and if those people have been excluded historically then to suddenly invent the ideal oh well anyone can act as anyone mm. uh, feels a bit too convenient really and maybe we need to have some protected roles in order to build up representation in order to build up visibility of non-white artists is there anything else that came up in the interview that you've been reflecting on well i came away with a real theme of nikki being uh, brave and sort of bravery taking slightly different forms you know that moment when he talks about backing the big truck up to change direction in his career that's brave mm. right and but then it's also brave to have uh as we were talking about right at the beginning, to raise your hand and say, I need a day off, I'm not coping. Mm-hmm. I need to look after my mental or physical health. Um, and there's a degree of bravery in being as vulnerable as he is on stage. And there's a gumption that it takes to just go out there and, and bear your heart. And some of these things we historically might have called like divery or I suppose uomo-y um, traits, you know, to suddenly make a big call and make a big decision. But... Uh, I think maybe in a modern paradigm, we can think of those in a more generous way as people being brave and risking it all and putting it all on the line. And coming away from it, I felt like, yeah, he's just someone who really does that in all that he lives. And as well as being a brave guy, he's a good guy with that vaccination stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I just hope that he keeps going from strength to strength three. Every day I step out of the path of a man named J.S. Bach He's always bumping us over, you see I didn't like it, not one bit Made me feel like a piece of dirt Till a thought occurred to me Today you would ask Bach to step aside? Yes! Please move, Mr. Bach, you're in my way No Please? No. I always move for you. I wouldn't say that, but go on. Oh, you're being a big meanie. Yeah, I have no opinion. That really hurts my feelings. I mean, I don't, are you telling me or are you asking? I have a little cry now. I can't really address that. It's an absurd notion. <laughs> no. Mm, there's a great front page. Still a farmer. Still a farmer. <laughs> great front page there is. <laughs> 